Welcome, bats and ghouls. What if I were to tell you a tale of darkness, magic, mystery, and nightmares? A scary story, but not the kind of scary story you tell around the campfire. An actual, real, spooky tale straight from history. Welcome to Night of the Living History, a podcast where we talk about real, spooky, and macabre things that happened in real life. If you're ready to hear a real scary story, then settle in, bats and ghouls, because it's time for Night of the Living History. Hey there, bats and ghouls. Welcome to another episode of Night of the Living History. Tonight, we're going to be talking about Lizzie Borden. Um, I'm sure all of us at some point or another have heard the famous rhyme, Lizzie Borden had an axe, gave her mother 40 wax. When she saw what she had done, she gave her father 41. Um, Either that or some variant of it. So that's what I'm going to be covering tonight. Um, uh, This is probably going to be quite a a bit of a long episode. There's a lot of backstory that I added into this with my research. So I hope you guys enjoy and let's jump in and let's get spooky. Okay, so we're going to go back in time a little bit um, before we get right into the murders, I want to talk about Lizzie's early life um, and the Borden's life as a family and as a whole. So Lizzie Andrew Borden was born July 19, 1860 in Fall River, Massachusetts. She was the youngest of three kids born to Andrew and Sarah Borden. The Bordens lost their middle child, Alice, at only two years old from hydrocephalus. To add to the tragedy already sprinkled into Lizzie's early life, Sarah Borden actually died March 26, 1863, when Lizzie was only two. On her deathbed, uh, the Borden's oldest child, Emma, promised to always take care of Lizzie. In 1865, just three years after the death of Sarah Borden, Andrew remarried, and the family then consisted of Andrew, Abby, Emma, and Lizzie. They raised the children in a heavily religious household. This resulted in Lizzie becoming extremely active in her community, mainly uh, with church activities. She also got involved in some social movements of the 1800s. Uh, she joined a Christian group at one point that was primarily feminist. Um, this group advocated often for social reform and, and uh, also advocated for women's suffrage. Just a reminder to all my non-history buffs, suffrage is the right to vote. Now, the religious community that the Bordens belonged to believed heavily in temperance. Uh, Temperance was the belief that one must avoid having too much of anything good. Um, To kind of play off of this, and to give a little backing to this, for example, uh, Andrew Borden uh, had around what would be worth $6 million today, but he was still very much tightwad. Uh, He refused to upgrade even the simplest of luxuries, such as electricity and indoor plumbing. Uh, He also chose to live away from the nice area of town and instead uh, forced the family to live across uh, that was closer to his business just to, um, it was more out of convenience more than anything. Um, And of course, you know, having two young girls um, in society while having this kind of money, that was kind of a hard upbringing for Lizzie and her sister. Uh, They became very resentful in regards to their modest upbringing. They were given very ungenerous amounts for their allowances. Back then, you would, um, you know, young ladies would want to spend money on clothes, just like today. Uh, It's the same kind of thing. Um, But the girls at this point were kind of forced to scrimp and save for even the cheapest fabric to be able to sew their own dresses. 
The Borden sisters tried in vain to convince their father to be less frugal, but their pleas fell on deaf ears. The animosity burned, and it burned equally as harsh toward their stepmother, Abby. Lizzie and Emma were convinced that Abby was a gold digger. They believed that she encouraged their father to pinch pennies so that there would be more money left over for her. The girls became distant. Um, it was noted that they rarely even sat down for meals with their parents, which was super unusual for this time. Uh, and then things kind of got worse from there. Uh, their anger was then further fueled by the fact that Andrew gifted Abby's sister a whole ass house, like bought her property and real estate. Um, this absolutely outraged Lizzie and Emma. <clears throat> they then demanded that Mr. Borden give them the title to the property that they lived in with their biological mother. Um, arguments ensued, and it stirred up a whirlwind of gossip in town, just because at this time you didn't really you didn't really argue with your family like this, and especially not loud enough for neighbors to hear it. So this was kind of like, oh my god, scandal. So eventually, at some point, they convinced their father, Andrew, to sell them the property for just a dollar. And a few weeks later, uh, they somehow convinced it to then buy it back uh, for $5,000, around $5,000, which is super strange. Uh, Mystery added to this is how they managed to even get him to spend such a large amount, considering that he was well known to not want to spend money on anything. Their uh, relationship with um, him actually became further strained. Uh, Lizzie actually stopped calling Abby mother, which, you know, that was the woman she was raised knowing. Instead, she began to refer to her as Mrs. Borden. In the summer of 1892, Andrew and Abby decided to take a trip out of Fall River. This was super uncharacteristic of Abby, um, and it was not something that would really be expected of Andrew either, but specifically Abby, from what my research is telling me, this was not something that she would do. When they got home from their trip, um, one of the desks that they had in the house was broken into and just absolutely ransacked. Um, back in this day and age, desk drawers often had locks with keys. So it was like physically broken into, like someone broke the lock and there was a lot of stuff missing out of it, valuables, um, including cash. Uh, there was a watch that had sentimental value to Abby. Um, if you added up the value of everything that was missing, of course you can't add what sentimental value is worth, but monetary value um, would be worth about $2,000 today. Lizzie, Emma, and the families live in Maid Bridget were all at home at the time of the burglary, and no one happened to hear anything. Um, this is kind of strange to me, and this kind of plays a little bit of a role later, because this is something that they claim that during the murders, there was two of them that were home, and they somehow didn't hear anything either, which I'm not really sure I believe in. Even stranger still, only Andrew and Abby's valuables were stolen from the home. A few weeks later, during a heat wave, Andrew Borden took a hatchet and killed the family's pet pigeons. This absolutely enraged Lizzie, um, who was uh, a very well-known animal lover. The reason for him killing the pigeons, um, I couldn't really find anything. I mean, there was a lot of um, theories as to why he did it, but there, I mean, there wasn't really anything noteworthy. There was just some people think he did it out of spite because Lizzie supposedly had just recently spent money on building them a new coop. 
Um, other people say that it was supposed to be like kind of like a threat to people in the local area, um, that he believed that some of the neighbors may have been the ones that were responsible for stealing from them. Again, ultimately, it is unknown. Another argument between the family members led Lizzie and Emma to leave rather suddenly on a five-day vacation and return just days before the murders of Abby and Andrew Gordon. The family lived in high tension. Uh, weather made things worse. The heat was so extreme um, that I think what I read was somewhat close to 100 people died in their community. Um, and food poisoning became huge at this time just because it became super difficult to store food properly, specifically meat or mutton. Mutton was something that was commonly eaten in this era. On August 3rd, 1892, Abby Borden went to a doctor who lived nearby um, because everybody in the family had gotten sick. Um, she was actually convinced that someone was trying to poison them, specifically Andrew Borden. Apparently, um, he had a lot of people who disliked him, not just his kids. Um, so when the doctor finally like, made his way over to the house, Andrew turned him away, um, most likely because he didn't want to actually pay for the doctor's visit, but just told the doctor, like, no, I'm, I'm fine, I don't need anything. So that same day, Lizzie Borden went to a local pharmacy and attempted to purchase prussic acid. Uh, this is a known poison, uh, also known as hydrogen cyanide. Um, she gave... I think the reason that she gave was she wanted to clean some kind of um, material cape that she had that I guess you needed some kind of specific, you need prussic acid to clean it. Either way, um, they ended up refusing to sell it to her, so she was unsuccessful. <clears throat> that same evening of August 3rd, uh, the brother of Lizzie and Emma's biological mother, um, their uncle John, came to stay with the family for a few days. Soon after his arrival, uh, Lizzie left the home to visit her friend Alice. She confided in Alice that she felt a bit off, even admitted that she felt she felt depressed. She also discussed her father's behavior with his business meetings. Um, Andrew Borden often angered quickly, and he threw people out of the house all the time um, because he did conduct his business out of the home, often having meetings at the house. Um, Lizzie apparently um, kind of confided in Alice that she was fearful that one of the men that he threw out of the house um, would come back and hurt them. Um, after their talk, Lizzie got home. It was super late at night. It was about 9 p.m. She ignored her father and her uncle, went straight up to her room, and didn't say anything to anybody. August 4th, 1892, Lizzie did not join the family for breakfast. Um, again, this isn't uncommon. We've already kind of noted that it wasn't really something that Lizzie and Emma did. They didn't really sit down with them often. John, their uncle, left the house to visit other family in the area, but was asked to come back for dinner by Andrew. Bridget, the live-in maid, was still suffering from the food poisoning, um, and although she wasn't feeling 100%, Abby came and asked her to clean the windows. She went to go and clean the windows, and um, soon after starting, she actually became super nauseated, went back to the house to kind of clean up and collect herself, and then went back outside. She didn't see Andrew Borden after coming in and out um, in these first few minutes, but this wasn't super unusual because he often left the house to go for a morning walk. She was spending some time cleaning outside and spotted Lizzie at some point um, around 9.30 a.m. in the back doorway. Um, she mentioned to Lizzie that there wasn't any need to lock the door since she was just outside cleaning. Abby Borden was upstairs cleaning as well, 
and sometime between 9 a.m. and 10 a.m., Abby Borden was murdered in the guest bedroom on the second floor. Forensics tell us that Abby was most likely facing her attacker before falling face first onto the floor, and she suffered about 17 blows um, from a hatchet or axe. Um, one of the experts that I was um, reading some of the accounts on basically said, um, from a psychological standpoint, that whoever murdered Abby Borden, um, the actual motion of killing her with the hatchet must have been emotionally cathartic for them. Um, just because, I mean, you don't need to hit somebody in the head 17 times to kill them. So it was most, it was most likely, um, a crime of passion. And I mean, like from uh, an emotional passion. So out of pure anger, hatred, something, um, because again, you don't need to stab somebody in the head 17 times for them to die. So their intent wasn't just to kill. There was, um, some kind of emotional motivation behind it. Andrew Borden uh, returned home from his walk. A neighbor actually witnessed him having difficulty getting into the front door, whether it was from feeling weak from being sick or the door actually being locked. He actually had a knock on the door for a while before being let in by their maid, Brid their maid Bridget. Later, uh, Bridget actually recalled hearing Lizzie laughing at the top of the stairs as her father struggled. Um, he spoke to Lizzie briefly before eventually um, ending up in the sitting room to go and take a nap. Lizzie mentioned um, a sale at a nearby shop to Bridget and invited her to come with her. Bridget was still not really feeling well, so she declined. In the same conversation, she had also mentioned to Bridget that Abby had apparently received a note from a friend asking her to go and visit because her friend was not well. So they kind of went their separate ways. Um, Lizzie was like reading a magazine, sewing, just doing you know her normal daily things, and Bridget went back to cleaning. About 15 minutes later, around 11 a.m., Lizzie screamed that her father was dead and that somebody must have come in and killed him. Um, he suffered about 11 blows to the head from a hatchet. Um, judging forensically, I'm not going to go into details because it was kind of gross, but essentially um, it was it's basically pretty obvious that he was asleep when he was hit with the hatchet. They called for a doctor. Uh, Lizzie also requested Bridget to go and get her friend Alice because she didn't want to stay in the house alone. Police also arrived soon after, and everyone kind of noticed that Lizzie um, was lacking in emotion. She didn't really seem distraught. She was actually strangely very calm. And upon questioning, her story continuously changed um, or was just plain inaccurate. Uh, there were claims about her helping Andrew change uh, out of his boots into his slippers, which were completely wrong because even at the crime scene photos, you can see that he's still wearing his boots. Um, when asked about where Abby was, Lizzie referred to that note that she supposedly got from a friend, but then had also changed and said, oh, well, she might have already returned and gone upstairs. So at some point after the questioning, the police send the maid and a neighbor upstairs to go and see if Abby was up there. And um, when they found her, um, obviously she was deceased. Um, Emma was out of town, but was notified of the murders uh, via telegram. Um, there was something noted in my research that said that even though she was notified, she failed to get on the first three trains home, which I'm sorry, I don't think that that's, that really means anything. Um, it could have just been that she was emotionally distraught and couldn't get herself together to get on the train. I don't, I don't, I don't know that that really means anything. I think people are just throwing some stuff around, some ideas around. Um, the 
Investigators didn't do a very good job. Um, they've asked, actually, I think, are still criticized to this day for the for what they did. Neither women were physically checked um, for any evidence on their person, so blood stains, for example. Um, Abby's note from her friend was never found. At one point, uh, they questioned Lizzie about what happened to the note, and she supposedly said that she had burned it. Um, there were also some hatchets found in the cellar. One specifically um, was oddly suspicious. The handle had actually been broken, and uh, the dirt and ash that was around where the hatchet was laying had been disturbed, and it was actually covered in dirt recently. It was very obvious that it was covered in dirt recently to make it look as though it had been kind of worn down for a while. Um, and the hatchets actually stayed in the house for a few days before the investigators finally went and um, retrieved them as evidence. Witness accounts of Lizzie um, were also super questionable. There was a cop, I guess that said, he saw Lizzie and her friend Alice that night taking items out of the cellar, um, such as a lamp and a slot bucket, or down to the cellar, not out of the cellar. Um, I have difficulties with stuff like this because um, these accounts came much later when it was like they were already starting to point Lizzie. Um, although, to be honest with you, um, after doing all this research, I do think that Lizzie was very much guilty. But some of these accounts, I think people were just doing to like, oh no, definitely, I saw this and I saw that. And she said this and I could, for me, it gets kind of muddled. I could be wrong, but it's just a little suspicious. I don't like it when people first say they don't notice anything and then later after things start coming forward, they realize that, you know, they had actually seen something suspicious to me. I feel like they're just adding to it or they're taking it and exaggerating it just to be part of it. Um, Lizzie was also witnessed at one point by Alice uh, carrying a plant soil dress and when questioned what she was doing with it, um, Lizzie told her she had planned to burn it. This was super strange, especially since we had already discussed that Lizzie and Emma had to hand sew their dresses and a dress like they wore back in that time. This would have taken days to make, um, and so you wouldn't just throw a dress like this away or burn it. Um, you know, you would use the dress for, you know, future use. If it was really that dirty or horrible, they would have worn it to, like, do work in the garden or something. So this was super strange. This, um, conveniently, was also after the mayor of Fall River blabbed to Lizzie that she was a prime suspect in the case. Um, after investigating several suspects, Bridget, Uncle John, Emma, and even, um, this like random innocent immigrant that they found Lizzie was arrested and spent 10 months in jail um, for double homicide and she had to wait those 10 months for trial after 15 days of court on June 20th 1893 Lizzie Borden was acquitted of the murders notice I didn't say found not guilty um, they essentially said they didn't have enough evidence to find her guilty with uh, without reasonable doubt so they had to basically let her go. Now, rumors about the murders flew and a lot of conspiracies were born. Um, one of the conspiracies being that Lizzie was actually a lesbian and her and Bridget had this um, kind of forbidden love affair. And when they were discovered by either Abby or Andrew, that was when the murders took place. Um, another theory is that Lizzie had entered a fugue state triggered by mental illness. Um, again, none of these, I mean, it's, it's hard to know what the motives about any of it were. Now, their lives after the murders, Lizzie and Emma never got married. Um, Lizzie kind of became ostracized by their community. Um, she even tried going by Lizbeth. Even though they, she stayed in Fall River, she, she really tried to kind of change her life a little bit um, as far as, like, 
not wanting to be recognized for the whole murders. They did, however, um, manage to move out of their shoddy little house that they didn't like and moved into a much more modern house on the right side of town like they had originally wanted to live in. Um, this house was fully staffed with maids and servants. Um, and they lived together there until 1908 when Emma mysteriously left New Hampshire. Her reasons for leaving the house are unknown to this day. Lizzie died June 1st, 1927 of pneumonia and Emma followed soon after about nine days later. Bridget, the maid who had lived with them during the times of the murders, um, supposedly on her deathbed, admitted that she often changed her testimony um, to protect Lizzie and that Lizzie was actually guilty. Now, um, after reading all this stuff, it was it's kind of crazy to me, but I kind of have this theory myself that I think Lizzie, Emma, and Bridget were all in on it together. Um, there was also something else in the whole story that talked about when their uncle John had returned back to the house. Um, after finding out that his late brother-in-law had been murdered and his wife, um, they said he acted very strangely, sat in the backyard for a while and wasn't um, super emotional. So I don't know, maybe he had something to do with it too. Um, but either way, to this day, um, historically, there's no evidence to say that Lizzie Borden was in fact guilty. Um, take, take it for what it is. It's still a really cool story to read about. Um, it's super interesting. Now, places to visit, of course, is going to be the historic Lizzie Borden House in Fall River, Massachusetts. They have a full-blown museum. You can go and have tours. They even have Halloween tours. It looks super cool. Just added to the list of reasons why I need to go to Massachusetts. Um, books based off of Lizzie Borden, there's a lot of them. There's some based around the theories. I think one in specific even um, touched on the theory that Lizzie and um, Bridget were in love with each other. Um, and movies and TV, again, there's a lot. Um, there's one that came out with Christina Ricci that looked absolutely horrible. And I'm sorry, I love Christina Ricci, but I'm not watching it. It looks like trash. <laughs> um, none of them are noteworthy. Um, I think I want to say that Ghost Hunters International did an episode. Um, I didn't really get to look into it. Again, I found so much stuff on this episode. I just, it was just incredible. So I didn't really bother to research too much. So I definitely recommend you guys do that. Again, it's a really cool story. I hope you guys enjoyed. Um, and until next time, until next week, stay spooky.